Let's begin our Sunday evening worship. I want to read a few verses from Isaiah in chapter 50. In verse 6 it says this, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me, who will contend with me. Let us stand together, who is mine adversary. Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall all shall, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and have no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do want to give thee the most glory and praise this evening. We desire that Christ would be high and lifted up, that men and women would be drawn unto him. But Lord, we do thank you for thy saints. Lord, we thank you that this is a place that we can come for instruction and for encouragement. And Lord, that we can come here for safety, that we might know that whoever our adversary is, Lord, no matter how strong and how wise and how powerful, Lord, that they are nothing compared to our God. And Lord, though we may be few in number in this world, if we have our God beside us, Lord, we have the majority. And Lord, we pray that you take your people from strength to strength to equip us for the week to come. Lord, we pray that you'd remove any frailty of our bodies this evening. Lord, that we'd be wholeheartedly fixed upon thee. Lord, invigor us, we pray, that we might come and commune with our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let us start our worship by singing hymn number 122. 122. join our cheerful songs with angels round the throne.
I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavouring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Amen. God has blessed the reading well, Let us take our hymn books again this evening. Turn to hymn number 343. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation.
And as I pray, pray alongside me and ask for the Lord's help this evening. Let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, we do want to give Thee thanks, Lord, for Thy great provision of the Church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank You for what it is to have... Lord, we pray that this week that we truly would have opportunity, Lord, to give Thee glory and to give Thee honour where honour is due. And Lord, we do thank You for Thy Church. Lord, we pray that You do a great work amongst it. Do help us now, Lord, as we come to Thy Word. Lord, may we humble ourselves, may we open our hearts to receive. Lord, may the Holy Spirit do that work of growing that seed within us. Lord, we know that there is nothing that we can do, Lord, to strive to please Thee. But Lord, we know that Thou can use us as empty vessels. And so we pray, empty us, Lord, as we come into Thy house. Lord, take away the burdens and the cares that are troubling us. Lord, take away the temptations and the sins that are causing us to stumble and to fall. Lord, we pray that we would remove every weight and sin that besets us as we seek to run for Thee. And Lord, we do pray that we would enter into a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding, and a deeper love for Thee. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who is high and lifted up, that You are holy, and that You deserve all the praise, Lord, of the heavenly host. And Lord, that we are nothing before Thee, but yet... You love to hear from us, and yet we can come to Thee, Lord, and we can plead the blood of Christ, and Lord, that we can come boldly and ask anything of Thee, of our cares and burdens. We thank You for the intercession that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank You that He is our mediator, and Lord, whatever we offer up, Lord, it is through His sacrifice, that Thou can now look upon us as Thine own Son, and Lord, we pray that we would live in this knowledge. Lord, whatever difficulties, whatever trials that this year has to come, may we know that Christ leads us on. Lord, may we not look to men to take us forward, Lord, but may we look to our captain of the heavenly host, Lord, who has won the victory, who has destroyed the power of Satan, of death and of sin, and Lord, that we are here just to trust and obey. Lord, help us to trust and obey. Help us in the small things of life, Lord, to be those obedient servants of Christ to go forward of all that we have and invest it for thy glory's sake. And Lord, we do pray that you would be with every aspect of ministry, Lord. We pray that you would be with us as we endeavour to serve thee in thy house, but Lord, to serve thee in whatever ministries that we might be involved in, in Bible studies, in prayer meetings, Lord, even in children's ministry or open air. Father, we pray that all would be done with a righteous heart before thee. Lord, we do not endeavour to partake of a vain religion. Lord, the world has seen too much of vain religion. It has seen of its evils. We have seen how Satan has used it to try and build his own kingdom. But Lord, we pray that we would not enter therein. Lord, that we truly would be a peculiar people, a chosen nation, a priesthood, Lord, that is called out from this world, that we would be sanctified and set apart for thy honour's sake. Lord, that we would not mix with this world, Lord, that we would not be influenced by it, but, Lord, that we might be those lights. We might be the influence on those whom we love, and those who, we, those who we see, and those who we live our lives alongside. Lord, we pray that truly we would invest all that we have for thy name's sake. Help us now, Lord, as we come to thy word. Do be with me as I speak. Lord, may I hide behind thy word. 
May it be the word that is presented in clarity. And Lord, may we learn from thy voice, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, let us take our hymn books once again before we look at God's word together. And let us turn to hymn number 750. 750. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mould me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. 750. God with me and turn to the book of James. We'll be turning to James this evening. <clears throat> we'll be reading through the first chapter together. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 1. 
James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let a brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Amen. Well, before we come to look at God's word, let's pray and ask for his help. O Lord, as we come to thy word, we pray that it would do that work of the sword of the Spirit, Lord, that it might enter into our hearts, that it might surely, surely prove us, that it might encourage us, and Lord, it would build up thy people. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be instructed this evening. Lord, help us to help our uh, infirmities, Lord. May we not feel too tired, but Lord, may we be invigorated by the power of thy word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In verse 8 of chapter 1, it says this, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In 1722, there was a young man who left his hometown in New England, and he was called to take on a pastorate in New York City. He was a young man of the age of 18, we believe. And as he took on this mighty responsibility, it was a great and new endeavor for him. It was a new area. He was not used to city life. It was a church that had recently faced difficulty of division. And this young man understood that he had not the ability to lead this church as, should, as it should be, really. But this one thing this young man did right is that he endeavoured to be a man of resolution. And so in the time from the beginning of his pastorate there in New York City, leading this Presbyterian church, he penned over 70 resolutions in which he would stand by. And at the beginning he writes this. It says this, Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. This man, or this boy, he did not have much, but he had resolution. And some of you may know that this young man was Jonathan Edwards, the great theologian whom God blessed in a mighty way in bringing about and using him as a tool for his glory in the great awakening 
in America. And during the same time as the Great Awakening in this country, under George Whitfield. And he was a man of great resolution. And of course, the Christian life must be one of resolution. If God is going to bless his people, if he is going to bless us, we must be resolute. And of course, this attitude did not start with Jonathan Edwards, but it starts in the scriptures. And here, of course, in James chapter 1, in verse 8, it says this, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. There is a command today for us who know and love the Lord that we are to be of a single mind. That we are to have a one-track mind in pursuing and living the Christian life. And may the word this evening encourage us. May we see what it means to have this singleness of mind. And of course, James hits home with this proverb to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. These are the Jewish Christians that are spread all about the world. And they are facing unseen and unrivaled persecution. This was a time where Christians were most persecuted for their faith. This new religion springing up, as it were, and the world and Satan would not have it so. And so James writes this wonderful epistle of encouragement to show forth what it truly means to live the Christian life and to have that firm foundation, that resolution that we are to find in our faith, that we might move forward thereby. It describes here what it means to be one of two minds. And it says this in verse 6, But let him ask in faith, talking of prayer, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. We find today that much of so-called Christianity is like a wave of the sea. There is no stability within it because they are not single-minded. A wave in itself, the sea, has no energy. It has no power to move. But yet there are external influences. The pull of the gravity of the moon, the wind which rolls along the sea, pushes and shoves the sea. And so we find the wave of the sea, it is moved from side to side under external influence. But we today, as children of God, we are to stand firm. We are to have that singleness of mind, that resolution, that we be not affected by these external influences of the world, of persecution, of temptation, of personal sin. But we are to stand on the promises of God and walk thereby and live therein. See, there's been a great accusation that is used today against the Church of Christ, and it's this narrow-mindedness. That we are narrow-minded, that we cannot accept anything else. We are to be more liberal and accepting of other things, my friends. That is the waves, that is the wind, and that is the moon trying to pull the Church of Christ. I want to be narrow-minded. I want to be single-minded. Because my mind is for Christ. And that should be our endeavour, isn't it? Never be afraid when those who do not know the Lord accuse you of being narrow. The Lord said, the way is narrow. There is a broad way. And many churches are taking the broad way. And it's leading people to destruction. And people do not know who Christ is. They do not know the word of God. 
and they have a double-mindedness, a mind for the world and a mind for Christ. Well, we cannot serve two masters. We will either cleave to one and despise the other. And the Lord help us this evening. And so as we look through these first few verses, may we see what it is that we are to be resolute about, what it is to have a single singleness of mind. And let us start in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. If there's one thing that we are to be resolute about, it is to be joyful Christians. We are to have a joy in the Lord in this world. We enter into some places of worship and it's like a funeral every Sunday. We see not a smile amongst the congregation. These are the people of God who have tasted redemption and forgiveness from sin. And yet, there seems not to be joy. But we must remember that this joy is in the midst of suffering and of affliction and temptation. And there's this great misunderstanding that joy and affliction is like a fork in the road. If we are to be people of joy, then we are to avoid affliction as much as we can. That we are not to be anywhere near any kind of persecution. And so we see a divide in certain churches and bodies of believers. Those who fixate on the joy of the Lord. That this is a a happy place. And that God is to bless us physically, emotionally and spiritually. But yet not a talk of the true gritty Christian walk. And so other churches, the pendulum swings. And we see the error of their ways and the, the, the shallowness of it. And we come into this humility and this meekness and lowliness. And services take on a very mild and solemn situation. And it's almost as if to crack a smile would be a sin against the Lord. But when we come to the scriptures, it tells us, count it joy when you fall into divers' temptations. My friend, the word of God tells us today that there is no correlation between joy and temptation. There is no correlation between joy and persecution. That these are separate entities. That our joy is to be set on the truth of what is found in our hearts and in our souls. And that we are not to be moved. That our joy cannot be removed by the wind and by the moon by our situation, by our emotion. And so we find that we are to be those who are resolved unto joy. May the Lord help us to recognize that these are not related in any way. And when we find this this characteristic of joy in affliction, it is one of the most godly, it is one of the most beautiful attributes that a child of God can display. It is rare to find that we can joy in affliction. You see, it declares the truth of eternity, like we said. It shows great faith and love for God, that no matter what is going on around me, no matter my situation, I will joy in the Lord. It proves strength of character, that we know that we can have that resilience, even in a world that is buffeting us. And it displays humility. Displays humility. Well, how? Why? How is it that we can have joy in times of difficulty, 
in times where we are walking the Christian line and it is not easy. Well, we must understand the providence of God. That it is a proceeding from the heart of God. When we are in divers temptations, afflictions, difficulties, we must understand that, yes, in Proverbs 16.9 it says, A man's heart devises his way, his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. There is no accident in the situation that we find ourselves. But God in his sovereignty has seen it fit that we are to be in such a position as what we find ourselves right now. Whether you are in a position of great difficulty, of great temptation, of trial, whether you are severely struggling with sin, with your brothers or sisters in Christ, whatever it is, God is using that in a very personal way. It is His personal love towards you in which He has seen fit to conform you to the image of Christ. And it's when we enter into these times of difficulty that we feel like the Lord has departed from us. That we feel like a child who's lost their parents. Well, it, may we never say it so. See, the only one who's ever experienced the separation of God the Father is Christ on the cross. And may we never tempt God by saying such things. But when we enter into these valleys, when we enter into these trials, God is near. He is like the refiner as he, as he watches his crucible with the gold on the inside. And he, he blows those bellows. He inserts the fuel to heaten up his precious metal and his precious ore. And he watches intently. He's caring for his precious gold as he sees those impurities removed from him. And this is how we can have joy in whatever the world is throwing at us. And of course, through that process, we are conforming to Christ to experience the fellowship of his suffering, as Paul says. There's something incredibly powerful about suffering with another person. The times that me and my wife, that we have had such strength and unity in our marriage, is when we have suffered together. And it brings you into a relationship that otherwise you would never have before. And so when you suffer on behalf of Christ and for his testimony, you enter into some, this precious relationship with him. And it's but a taste of what he experienced. And may that be a joyous thing for us. The process of being drawn closer to him, being more intimate with Christ through these times of temptation. And of course, it is also our witness to the world. It is a joy to be in these temptations because they are the greatest opportunity for Christian witness. Nobody watches you more than when you are struggling. The world wants to watch you struggle and the world wants to watch you fail. But when the shining light of the gospel comes forward in your joy in the midst of that difficulty, then you are doing a great work for the Lord. You are doing his purpose and his plan and you are bringing him honor and glory and praise in a way that you would never have chosen to do so. And God uses you in a wonderful way in the midst of these temptations. May we have joy in the Lord. Let us look on in our text. In verse 3, well, let's remind ourselves. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And in verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so we find here that we are to have a resolve unto spiritual vision. A resolve unto spiritual vision. See, James, he identifies that the knowledge of the spiritual workings is the key to stability. That we are, we are not to have any joy unless we recognize the spiritual aspect of what is going on. We see the wonderful thing about the epistles is that they, as they teach, they build one upon another. But sometimes they bring it down. They say this, this is the goal, but this, are the, this is the means in which we reach that goal. And James brings it down to the grassroots slowly. He says if we have not joy, then we must have this spiritual knowledge. We must endeavor to understand and look at our lives with a spiritual vision. There's always a goal that is set before us, as we said, whether it be the, the conforming to Christ, whether it be equipping us for trials to come. There is something that we must understand. There is something that we must have that, we must have that knowledge dwelling within us that God is doing a work, that spiritual vision. And when we think about knowledge, that we are to be assured of what is going on in our lives. It's so oftentimes those churches that when they focus on the joy of following Christ, well, they're, oftentimes they're, they're not the churches that have a, a great and deep spiritual knowledge. And we are to pursue this, this knowledge of spiritual things. Otherwise, we're not going to have joy. And the joy that we are expressing is, is shallow. And it's a joy that will not last. It will not see us through these great trials and tribulations. And we are to have a resolve to see past the physical, to see past our immediate emotions and our frailties and see unto the glory that is set before us. And this was the resolve of our Savior. We read from Isaiah in chapter 50 at the beginning. And it says this in verse 6 in Isaiah 50, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded, therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Jesus Christ, as he looked to Jerusalem, as he saw in his divinity, he understood the great rejection of man. He understood the humiliation in which he would face, the great physical pain, and the separation that he would experience from God the Father, as his almighty wrath was poured Upon him. But yet he set his face like a flint. He was not to be moved. Why? Because he saw beyond the cross and he saw his exaltation. He saw his glorious resurrection, his glorious ascension as he comes as the Son of Man before the Ancient of Days and presents his sacrifice acceptable before God on the throne, bringing with him his redeemed people as a wonderful gift from the Son unto the Father. And this is the spiritual knowledge, the vision that Christ had as he went to the cross. My friends, we must have a single-track mind, a singleness of mind to have spiritual vision as we go forward in our lives. He will not be ashamed. It says there in Hebrews 12, doesn't it, that he despised the shame, despised the cross, but for the joy that was set before him. 
My friends, there will be joy set before us in affliction, in trial and in trouble. There's always joy in the morning. Let us have that vision. It says there in Proverbs 29, in verse 18, it says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now many people have taken this proverb to say that a church must have a a 5, a 10 and a 15 year plan. This is our vision. This is the way that we are to go. Because if we don't, if we don't know what we're doing from week to week, then people are going to perish. My friends, this talks about more of an intimate knowledge and understanding of God. A personal walk with Him. And this, this word which is used for perish, it has the connotations of a falling away, a a letting loose. If a woman was to uncover her headdress and her hair would fall forward, that that is what the word perish here means in its original context. And it was a shame unto a woman that there was no stability in her hair and it waved around in the wind almost. And we see that same pattern where there is no communion with God, when there is no depth of knowledge and understanding of spiritual things then it's a shame unto us. And there will be no stability in us. And we again, like that wave, will be tossed to and through. Let us look on in our text. But let patience have a... Sorry, in verse 6. Verse 5. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. And so we see another rung down the ladder in the teaching of James. We see that we are to have joy in our walk for the Lord, but we cannot have joy unless we have this understanding of God and His divine workings in our spiritual life. But if we have not this understanding, then we must ask for wisdom. We must ask that God would show us. And so we must pray. We must have a singleness of heart To pray. A resolution. They're like stepping stones. Working their way down. And truly our prayer life is the strength of our Christian walk. It is the backbone to our spirituality. And many of us, because it is behind closed doors, it is a very personal thing. It is often the first thing that disappears when we enter into temptation. It is oftentimes the one thing that lacks in our life. It is the foundational basis of our holy walk. And we admit that prayer is a mysterious thing to us. Oftentimes we come before God with a desire to pray, and yet we do not know how to pray. We do not feel that we have the right words to say unto God. Our minds are stifled oftentimes. Our hearts are deceitful. Our minds are distracted by other things. We don't understand its mystical workings. We know that God is sovereign, and yet we are commanded to pray. We are commanded to, and it's a privilege to pray. And so many of us, yes, we do have a resolve to pray. We will pray every day, and with our families, with our wives and with our husbands. But do we have a resolve in our prayer? And this is, this is a very important thing when we come to our prayer lives. That yes, many of us, we will pray every day, but... Is there resolve in our prayer life? And what do we mean by this? Well, we can be guilty of having unburdened 
and faithless prayer. Oftentimes it feels that our prayers are not ascending above the ceiling above us. It is like throwing leaves into the wind. But when we have a resolve to prayer, it is like firing arrows to the throne of grace, right to the very presence of God. We are to have a great expectancy and faith in our prayer. When we come before God, we must expect him and know that he is able to accomplish all that we desire of him. If we are praying according to his will, do we truly believe that as we offer these things unto God, that he in a moment could answer them? Do we believe that? Are we specific in our prayer? Many times we are guilty of become, coming before him and we, and we say many, many things, but there's no specifics within it. We don't pray for that person specifically in their specific need. We don't pray for the church in its specific difficulties and requirements. We, we would never go to a doctor in need of help and not show them the specific difficulty in which we have. And oftentimes when we pray, we come before the, the great physician and we say, I'm hurting here. And it's ridiculous. We must be specific in the way that we pray. Lord, may the Lord help us in coming before him. And we must have fervency. Fervency in prayer. We can be so guilty, can't we? In praying for something once and seeing it unanswered. But my friends, persist in prayer. There's that wonderful parable of the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of the woman and the unjust judge. And the woman become, comes before the judge and says, Avenge me of my adversaries. And this judge, he does not care for this woman. He does not care for God. But yet his mind, it is working. And he thinks, if I do not help this woman, if I do not avenge her of her adversary, then she will return and she will come time and time again and she will bother me. How much more does the attentive ear of God our Father attend to our fervent prayer? There are many things that we have prayed for for years and we have not seen an answer to. My friends, continue therein. Continue to pray. Be persistent. Take courage and have great faith in your prayer. And let us have boldness as we come before the Lord. May we not enter into his presence with a sense of arrogance, but to know that we are his child, to know that he cares for us, and that we are to cast our burdens upon him. For he cares for us, as it says there later on in James. And it's a wonderful thing for God to receive our prayers. We are to have this one-track mind, this resolution to pray. And it says this in verse 5 later on, he says, let him ask of God, back in our text, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. God is waiting to answer our prayers. There are many things he desires to ask of, for us to ask of him. And there is no chastisement when we come before him. There is no request too small or too large. And we have the wonderful intercession of Jesus Christ. That as we offer up prayers, those things which are not pleasing to God, well, they are filtered out by our Saviour. I've heard it described as this, that when a child picks flowers for his mother in the garden, he picks flowers, but he'll pick weeds and grass and dirt and mud. And as he comes to present these flowers before the, his mother, well, the father comes along and he takes these flowers. 
and he pulls away the weeds and he pulls away the dirt and the soil so that as it's offered to the mother, it is offered in the pureness and beauty of that intercessory work of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing. And God, there is no chastisement for us. God loves to hear us cry out in our burdens. As our children cry out for us when they are hurt, it brings us great joy, doesn't it, to know that we are their comfort, to know that we are their place of safety and of help. And so it is so with us as we come to God with our burdens. And to hear the heart praying in accordance to his will, well, this is truly the sweet aroma that God receives in heaven. You think of those golden bowls and the pleasing aroma of the prayers of the saints there in Revelation. We must be resolved unto prayer. Let us not expect anything with a double-minded heart of prayer. And to pray without faith is like the Pharisee. It's just empty words saying that I thank thee that I'm not like these other people. But let us pray with faith and fervency and boldness. And may it draw us to him and illuminate our understanding and then may that understanding bring us joy in trials. Let us go on in our text. Verse 7, For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. And then there, the center of our text, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And verse 9, Let a brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich man in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. It seems like an awfully strange addition to a passage that's talking about single-mindedness and oneness. Well, here, of course, James refers to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That as we come into his presence, humbly, as children, that there is a great leveling out of us. That those who are low and are humble are exalted to the plane of Christ. And those in the eyes of the world who are high and rich and wealthy, well, they are humbled. And they are brought to the level ground at the foot of the cross. And we see this great uh, commission to us that we are to be resolved for a unity in our church. A unity and a singleness of heart with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, he's been talking about the, the, the personal walk but now it comes to a corporate level. We must be united as children of Christ. And this is really the, the great commission that Christ gives to his disciples time and time again as he faces his death in the upper room. Love one another. Have that unity. This is a great gift. The church of Jesus Christ is your strength in this world. And how often do we find division enters in? How often we find that Satan seeks to poke his toe between the saints and like a wedge drive us apart. We can have all the resolve in the world, but if we have not a single-minded church, then we will be tossed to and fro like a wave of the sea. It will, Satan will, loves to throw discord amongst the members. Unity. My friends, there is nothing more beautiful, more godly, and impenetrable than a church that is united under Christ. 
we find that no, nothing else matters. That this unity that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ coming under his blood, that there can be no difference between personality, between social standing, between anything that will cause us to be divided in his house. I've been reading recently of the Battle of Waterloo, a fascinating battle. But one of the greatest strengths that was found in the British military, in the British army, was their unity as they stood together. There was a great arrangement that they would enter into called a square, a military square. And Napoleon and his generals, they threw barrage after barrage of heavy um, cavalry at these squares. Great men on horses with great glistening breastplates, with lances and swords. And yet these men in a square, they had to hold their ground. They had to have unity. And if there was ever a gap in that square, a horse would enter in and he would destroy a whole battalion. It was as fragile as that. But if they had that shoulder-to-shoulder unity, those on the floor presenting their bayonets, those volleying musket fire at these horses. In the Battle of Waterloo, there were 12 attempts at the French to destroy these infantry regiments. And not one prevailed because they stood shoulder to shoulder. And my friends, Satan seeks that a horse enter into the square. But he can only enter in if there is a gap between us. If there is division and there is not the unity. And of course we read there in Ephesians chapter 4, this wonderful portion of scripture talking about the oneness that we find as a church. Ephesians 4 verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. And here we find seven unities, seven, the number of perfection. There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. What more is there to be divided about? We have a oneness with one another. But unto everyone is given us grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And it goes on to talk about these great giftings that in this unity that God has given to us to equip his people, to make them a formidable force in the face of the enemy. And so we find in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure and of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And there we find the strength of the church in unity. That it is not to be carried about with every wind of doctrine. It is not to be influenced by the temptations of this world. That they have a singleness of mind and of heart and of ambition. And so we find in James, as it, after it talks about that great leveling of people, there in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. With a singleness of mind, with that great unity as a church. And we endure temptation when we are tried. There is a crown of life 
that is for us. This great picture of the Olympic Games, one who has conquered, has been found worthy as it were, wears the crown at the end of the Games. My friends, with this unity, with this resolve, standing firm on the Scriptures, standing firm shoulder to shoulder with one another, we receive that crown. And we are more than conquerors through Christ. And so may the Lord help us as we endeavor to serve him this year, 2022. May we have a unity like we've never known before. And may we go from strength to strength and victory unto victory. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, we do thank you for thy word. We thank you for its encouragements. We thank you that you are a God that has given us all that we might accomplish. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with us individually as believers. Lord, that truly we would be standing firm, that we would have this unity and this uh, resolve, as it were, to live for thee, to serve thee. Lord, help us to pray, we ask. Help us to have unity with one another. Help us to joy in the work that thou hast given us to do. And Lord, we pray that we might enjoy that day where thou will welcome us in, good and faithful servant, and where that crown of life will be placed upon us. Oh Lord, we await that day with great anticipation and Lord, with great love for Thee. Lord, we pray that You bless us now. Bless us this week, Lord. Give us opportunities to speak of Christ, we pray. And may our lives bring glory to Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, let us sing our final hymn together, hymn number 750. Excuse me, 574.
pray that as we go forward, that we would know of thy great presence with us. We would know of thy hand of blessing, Lord, thy hand of correction, and thy hand of grace. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would build your people here, and you build us up in our faith. Lord, that thy name would be glorified in the ministry of our lives, in our testimony. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.